another ABI podcast of a conversation with a respected figure in the insolvency world regarding topics of interest to insolvency professionals. I'm Felicia Turner, the Deputy Executive Director of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today we are kicking off the first in a series of podcast conversations with presidents of various organizations of prominence in the insolvency community. For this March kickoff, I'm speaking with Samuel K. Crocker, the current president of the National Association of Bankruptcy Trustees, known as the NABT. Sam has been practicing primarily in the areas of creditors' rights and bankruptcy for 25 years. He is a partner in the firm of Crocker and Nearhouse in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has served on the panel of Chapter 7 trustees for the Middle District of Tennessee for almost 25 years. He received his B.A. from Vanderbilt University and his J.D. from the University of Mississippi. He is a frequent speaker and panelist on bankruptcy issues. Thank you for joining me today, Sam. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, let's get started. Why don't we start by your telling our listeners about the NABT, its history, membership, and purpose. The uh, National Association of Bankruptcy Trustees is a professional association. Uh, that has just had its 25th um, anniversary. The meeting we had in Chicago marked 25 years the association has been around. And essentially, it is professionals in the insolvency area, uh, trustees and professionals who work for and with trustees, for example, attorneys, accountants, auctioneers, appraisers, trustee assistants. Uh, We have a membership of approximately 1,500, and approximately 1,000 of those members are panel trustees. Uh, there will, you will note that there are roughly 1,100 to 1,200, we used to say, uh, panel trustees working at any given moment around the country. Uh, now it's down closer to, one, uh, to 1,100 for sure. In any event, almost all uh, acting panel trustees are members of the association. Our purpose is to improve the administration of the bankruptcy system by promoting professionalism, education, and the open exchange of ideas among our members and among our members in our association and other constituencies in the bankruptcy system. Uh, I think I went to my first meeting in 1988, and there were maybe, it was in New Orleans, it was the, we only had one meeting back then a year, There were maybe 125 people there. Uh, The biggest one we had was right before BAPSEPA in New York, where we had literally almost 1,000 people at the convention, over 950. And we have a magazine that we sponsor quarterly. We do amicus participation in areas of interest and concern to Chapter 7 trustees. We lobby on behalf of Chapter 7 trustee interests in Washington uh, and around the country and that's who we are and what we do. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, congratulations on 25 years. I mean, I've had a lot of experience with you and your organization and certainly provide a great service. Now, how long have you been president? And kind of just give us a feel of how much time does it take and, and what are the sort of things you do as president of the NABT? Well, I came in at the convention in Chicago last year in August, <clears throat> and I will leave uh, at our convention. I will 
uh, step aside, and Robert Furr, the president-elect, will take over in August in Anchorage, Alaska, at our meeting. The uh, the job of president is actually I've been on the board for it seems like forever. Uh, there is a rotation system which is not technically in the bylaws, but it just sort of works that way. And you go from being the secretary, treasurer, et cetera, all the way up. And by the time you're president, you would think that you've pretty much seen everything and been involved in everything. But I will say that it is it is very time consuming. This is a the association, as I said, has grown a lot. Uh, we have, uh, and I know we'll talk about this later, but we haven't had a fee increase in quite a long time, since 1994. Uh, there are, people are leaving the trustee panel for primarily that reason. So there is a lot, uh, going on. There's a lot at stake. And I think, in a way, I think of what I do as being sort of a cheerleader because most of the people who are long-term trustees, as you probably know, really like this job. It's an interesting job. It has, uh, you don't do the same thing every day. You work in different businesses. You learn about different industries, and most people really like this job. Uh, the problem is that unless we can get the compensation to be a little more realistic, we're going to begin to lose people, even the ones who really do like the job, like I do, uh, because they just can't justify it economically. So I'm doing whatever I can to uh, instill a sense of respect and importance about what we do, and on the one hand, and on the other hand, practically, try to get us raised uh, so we can be properly compensated for what we did. Yeah, I know that is a lot on your shoulders as president and during this time period. It's not the easiest time period for a lot of bankruptcy um, professionals. Let's let's back up a little and talk about trustee duties. As you mentioned, there are over a thousand Chapter 7 trustees in the country and the majority of your trustee members are the Chapter 7 trustees. In the first three quarters of 2007, there were well over 300,000 Chapter 7 cases filed, which was over 60% of the bankruptcy cases. And while these numbers might not compare to pre-BAP-SEPA numbers, the fact hasn't changed that there are more filings under Chapter 7 than any other chapter of the code and that Chapter 7 trustees disperse many millions of dollars, if not billions, to creditors every year. I was going to change that M to a B. Yeah. So... Further, I mean, you're the front line. Many, if not most times, the Chapter 7 trustee is the only official representative of the system that an individual debtor sees, and that's a lot of responsibility for you and your colleagues. So why don't you describe for our listeners what this important role of a Chapter 7 trustee in our system actually involves? We are the independent fiduciaries who administer the Chapter 7 bankruptcy system. That's that's what we do, the definition of what we do. That encompasses uh, an awful lot. It really, it really takes in every part of the Chapter 7 bankruptcy system. Uh, we, I know I'll just speak for myself, I feel a duty at a meeting of creditors, like you said, there very rarely uh, will any of those people who uh, I question that day see anything else about bankruptcy other than that 341 meeting. And I feel like I have a huge responsibility to impart to them that we have a very good, fair, and honest system working here and that I'm proud to be part of it and that there's no shame in, in seeking a fresh start in bankruptcy. That That's a very, very American notion, and that's why we have bankruptcy. So on the one hand, I'm there to facilitate the debtors going through the process, administer the debtor through the process. 
At the same time, I represent the unsecured creditor body. And that's all of them together, not any individual ones. And so I have to look and see if there are assets that this hopefully honest debtor has that have value that I can sell to pay those creditors. That's part of my job, too. And you can see how the two don't necessarily interface, but I have to do that or I try to do that in a way that is it's understood that that's how this works and that's what we do. And I have it's not that I want to take something away from a debtor. It's not that I want to make a debtor feel uncomfortable because I send someone out to look at his whatever, household goods. That's my job, and I do it because it is my statutory job. And then finally, I guess the the other side of it, there are dishonest debtors. Uh, There aren't nearly as many as uh, the BAPSEPA founders would like you to believe, but there are dishonest debtors. And another part of my job is to see, you know, look and see uh, if I have one. And if I do, then I have a responsibility to the system to take action against that debtor uh, for the integrity of the system. And once again, it's not disdain for the debtor. Uh, it, it is the job that we do, and a little over a thousand of us do it. And unfortunately, people sort of forget that we're in there doing it sometimes, or so it seems. Right. Well, that's a difficult line to walk in terms of balancing the making the debtor feel comfortable and, and then fulfilling your fiduciary duties. And I know that sensitive trustees like yourself, um, that, I mean, that's great that you have that in mind, and I'm sure it makes you do your job all the better. Why don't Why don't you tell us a little bit about how BAPSEPA changed the trustee practice? I know that it changed um, the system for a lot of us, but particularly the seven trustees, putting even more responsibility on your shoulders. Why don't you address that a little bit? Well, we have, uh, as you know, uh, 11 U.S.C. 704 is the, the statute that, that defines the duties of the Chapter 7 trustee. And on top of the duties that we had before BAPSEPA, uh, some other ones were added. The, um, we have to, we have to find out if there are support claimants who need to be notified under, I say that domestic support claimants, uh, under a new section of 704. We have to send them a letter after the meeting of creditors and then we have to send them a letter upon the debtor's discharge, which means that someone has to watch, you know, have to keep up with that and, and make sure that happens. Uh, we have the issue of the, the means test, and this varies around the country, but there is always some obligation that from the U.S. trustee that is given to us, and I don't mean that in a way that there's anything improper necessarily about that, and as I said, it varies around the country and how much of it stays in the U.S. trustee's office and how much of it comes to us, but in terms of collecting the things that have to be filed, uh, pay advices, et cetera, tax returns, and then uh, in varying degrees, analyzing those documents and making determinations which we pass along to the U.S. trustee. Uh, there is a significant amount of extra time involved in that. There are a couple of <clears throat> sort of little quirky things that are added. If And I had lots of corporate cases over the years when I was a Chapter 7 trustee that had 401 401k plans, et cetera, some kind of profit sharing plan, uh, employee plan, and that was not property of the estate, still not property of the estate. It's money that belongs to the uh, to a trustee for the benefit of those employees. And now under 704, if we get a case like that, we have to have, act, actually administer 
that plan as well as the case and lots of issues about ever getting paid in that situation. Uh, I guess the last one I would mention is the, and it's not under uh, 704, it, it's a section dealing with the um, data that is accumulated by the U.S. trustee in bankruptcy now, which is required under BAPSEPA, and our, what we call, no asset reports now. And keep in mind that 90, probably 95 to 96% of cases are no asset cases, and we can hit a button when we have one of those and generate a, uh, a form that says there are no assets in the case. Well, the, <clears throat> it was about to go into effect a change uh, under BAPSEPA that will require significantly more information than that, which at the moment we can't get from a computer, which will add a significant amount of time to those cases where we get paid presently $60 a piece. Uh, we're working hard with all the different constituencies in the system to try to find a way to get that fixed, but it hadn't happened yet. I guess the, what I'm saying is you can you can get killed by a, uh, a sword to your heart you can also get killed by a thousand little bitty cuts all over you, and uh, they add up, and that's sort of what what this has done to trustees in terms of their time and the economies of their practice. Right, and you've alluded to it a few times, and I certainly know from personal conversations that, I mean, even before BAPSEPA and the new duties, the fee was an issue, and I want to go to the economic reality of continuing a trustee practice post-BAPSEPA. I mean, for many trustees... This was their full-time job or a major component of their livelihood. And, you know, as we've alluded, the new ditties didn't come with an accompanying increase to the $60 fee for no-asset cases, which are still the majority of the cases. So why don't you just give us a little more information on the, you know, economic reality of continuing your practice in this environment? Well, not only did we not get more money to administer those cases, uh, it, as you know, we had a rush right before BAPSEPA. Uh, although in Nashville it, it wasn't as, as, as big as it was in other places. And then once the law came into effect, then we had very few cases on top of that. So when you now when things have gotten back to, and I don't want to say normal, but almost normal in terms of case filings, the, there are a lot of people left the panel uh, early on, and they were people, and this is all anecdotal, I don't have any statistics about it, but I know several specific people I could talk about. Um, I won't mention names, but most of the ones who left early were ones who this was not their primary practice. They had a personal injury practice or something else. They tended to live in areas, uh, rural areas where there weren't as many bankruptcy cases filed anyway. It was uh, part of their practice, but it was not a big component of their practice. And it became it, it began it began to actually uh, adversely affect their primary practice because they still had to devote well they had to devote maybe more clerical time than before BAPSEPA and they weren't getting paid anymore for that extra clerical time and and that clerical time could have been better used back in the primary practice and so many of those people left uh, people like myself who have been doing this forever, and it has become a primary practice. You know, it's like I said, most of us like what we do, and we really want to keep doing it. Uh, it's very interesting work. You know, I, I feel like it's very important work. And most of us feel that way, the ones that have been around for a long time. But we're beginning to get, again, anecdotally, uh, I'll get a letter here and there from you know, a trustee in a different part of the country that will say, I just can't do it anymore. Uh, I can't rationalize it 
economically. Uh, we got a raise in 1994 from $45 to $60 on no asset fees. We've had no cost of living increases on that, so we are making now significantly less than we made in 1994. And while we are doing the very best we can to bring that to everyone's attention, mostly Congress, so that it will be corrected, we've had a hard time getting it done. And it's it's demoralizing. That's why I say part of what I do is, is you know, tell people, just hang on. You know, we really are giving it our best shot, and we're going to try to make this work. Is everything pretty much sitting still right now? We have a bill that uh, came out of the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's the bill that has the uh, Article Three judges raised mm-hmm. uh, on it, and it was amended to include a raise for Chapter 7 trustees in uh, no asset cases from $60 to $120. Mm-hmm. So that 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 has actually gone out of the Senate committee and is before the Senate. And of course, the problem is that we've got all these other issues, uh, the Chapter 13 issues, the uh, dealing with foreclosure. It's an election year, right. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and while we're working very hard, and our lobbyist is working very hard, we we also don't have it on the House side, um, which is interesting because typically we've gotten better support there than we have in the Senate, but their bill, their judge's raise bill, does not have us included. There was a 24-hour notice period. We didn't have a chance to talk to them, so we've got to get that done, too. We're hopeful that we can get this done this year, but, uh, you know, again, all we can do is the best we can do. Yeah, from what I understand, although it might be ready for the Senate floor, we can't really predict whether that would be, you know, soon or sooner or later. That's what, right. What about the other change that BAPSEPA made regarding fees, and that was to Section 330, which now states that courts shall treat compensation awarded to a trustee under Section 326 as a commission. Um, I know from my personal experience as U.S. trustee, there were districts where trustees already got the maximum in a lot of the cases. There were districts where the judges had their own formulas and set the fees, which were never the maximum. Can you speak generally if that has helped at all, or whether it's probably just not even possible to tell. First of all, let me, and this is, to me, this is the most disappointing thing. This is more disappointing than not getting the uh, any increase in the no-asset fees because I don't think there is any way that the amendments to Section 330 can be read to uh, for Lodestar to still be uh, a primary factor in determining uh, what our asset fee should be. Uh, as you know, 330A7 says that uh, that the amount of reasonable compensation to the trustee will be treated as a commission under Section 326. And more importantly, under 330A3, where the list of factors are, are, are named that will affect reasonableness of compensation, we were taken out of that completely. And that includes Lodestar. Now, what has happened... And in the reported cases, and I want to emphasize the reported cases, a lot of uh, a lot of courts, for whatever reason, are just having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that it can be reasonable and not based on lodestar. Mm-hmm. That it can be a commission and be a reasonable, still be a reasonable fee, and not have some uh, something to do with how long you worked on it and what your hourly rate is, and. I understand it. I think the U.S. trustee understands it. What it means is 
there is still a component of reasonableness, but it's not Lodestar. It, it, it's just not anymore. There could be a case, a perfect example of one I had, where I got a phone call from another trustee, Bob Walsmith, and he said, I've got a check for $800,000 for you. And he really did. And I did not ask for the full uh, commission in that case. Wouldn't have. Didn't earn it. That was a windfall. And that, I think, is clearly what Congress meant. Uh, that's what we understood when we drafted the language. And for whatever reason, there are pockets of judges who just will not, uh, are having a hard time coming to terms with that. Now, I said reported cases because I do believe that you know, the ones you read are the ones that are reported, and they're reported because there's an objection, albeit some of them so esponte by the court. But, but for the most part, there's been some objection, and I I think, and I wish I could prove it statistically, that probably around the country it is, it is very different, that most courts are following uh, the, the, the languages that should be followed, and trustees are indeed getting paid the full commission based on 326 unless it's an unusual, unreasonable situation. And it's just unfortunate that uh, everything you read about trustee fees seems to go the other way. Right, and I do agree that at least when I was U.S. trustee, you know, they their opinion was consistent with what you're saying that that was a clear change in the law away from the lodestar, and not that there wouldn't be rare exceptions where the U.S. trustee would object, but I do understand that even where the U.S. trustee hasn't objected, that there are those pockets of judges that still do it on their own. But um, maybe that will change with time. Let, let me just say one thing about this too before we get away, because people don't. It, it, it is almost a conflict of interest for a trustee's fee to be based on hours spent. Uh, if, if you hire someone to sell your house and you want your house sold as quickly as possible, you'd want to pay them less money if it took them six months to sell it than if they sold it on the third day. And, and that's what trustees are. We, it, it's a different concept. Our job is to go in, liquidate assets, pay creditors, do it systematically, and do it expeditiously. And it, it makes no sense that we get penalized for doing it faster. Uh, people like me, who know how to do it, have been doing it so long, get penalized, and someone who's never done it before, who takes 35 hours to do it, gets paid more. I mean, that, that, that is the disconnect that, that, for whatever reason, I think people have just not ever come to terms with. Yeah, you're right. It's a little counterintuitive. Um, there's certainly a lot of talk. You referenced it a few minutes ago about whether and or when the filings are going to reach pre-BAPSEPA levels, and I'm not going to ask you to make any predictions. I will note, however, as stated in an ABI press release on March 3rd, that the consumer filings in February were up more than 15% compared to January, and the percentage of Chapter 13 cases dropped a little. And if you compare this February to February of 2007, they were up 37%. Is that consistent, would you guess, with what you're seeing in the Middle District of Tennessee? It, that's consistent with here. And, again, I can tell you anecdotally, because I, I talk to trustees from around the country all the time, that there are places that caught up, South Florida, for example, caught up six months ago. Um, there are other places that are still behind, but... The economic, the reality of the economic situation that we're facing right now uh, is that there are going to be more cases filed and there are going to be more Chapter 7 cases filed unless 
the uh, Congress passes the uh, uh, the cram down in 13, and if that happens, there will be more. There'll still be more Chapter Seven cases, but there can be a lot, lot more 13 cases also. That's what I think. Right, and and I understand that the NABT is not taking any position on that <clears throat> legislation about cram down. Am I correct? NABT, as a professional association, uh, has has always, um, as long as I've been on the board, has always not taken a position on an issue that was not directly pertinent to Chapter 7 trustee practice. And uh, th we, we did the same with this one. We don't think that is directly pertinent to Chapter 7 practice now. You know, just like BAPSIPA, we you know we were criticized for not taking a position on BAPSIPA in general. We did take positions on parts of it that dealt with us directly. But our opinion is that our members uh, are, are varied. We have members who are NAC, also NACBA members. We have members who are uh, CLLA members. We have you know, we we have essentially the whole gamut. We have some who you know come from a creditor creditor representation background, some who come from a debtor representation background. And what our individual members want to do and think about a particular issue is completely up to them, and we don't feel like it's the responsibility or the privilege of the association to try to tell them how they should think about an issue. Right, I understand that. And, and the ABI itself is nonpartisan and doesn't take a position, but I do think um, that there are plenty of people and organizations taking positions, so I'm sure all bases are covered. Um, let's talk a little bit, You've, we've referenced the U.S. trustee. That's an important relationship for the Chapter 7 trustee because they are charged with your oversight. And then I also know that the U.S. trustee program and the NABT have been working closely and, and very well together in the last several years to keep communications open and beneficial to all involved. Can you briefly address that relationship between panel trustees and the U.S. trustee program? It, it is, and I would say that the U.S. trustee program and NABT uh, share now, and it certainly was not like this in the distant past, but share uh, a goal, and the goal is to create a system of, of bankruptcy administration that works, that works for you know, all the players in the system, and, and that's... And that's what we want to do, uh, and in our interface with them, that's that's what you know, we want to promote, and, and vice versa. I, not to say that we don't hit a bump in the road from time to time, but but for the most part, I think we are absolutely uh, in agreement and, and generally on the same page, and uh, it's a very good relationship. Right. I think that's good for the system, too. Neither organization wrote the law, and the law is there, and we have to deal with it, and I think it is your job and their job to make sure it works the best that it can. What about the relationship with the debtor bar? I would say that's another very important one. You see these debtor attorneys it, it every day. It absolutely is. And uh, the the relationship that I personally have with uh, with the debtor bar in Nashville, I, I think I can say that there's not a member of that bar uh, who wouldn't say that the trustees here uh, right down the line, maybe there would be one or two that they would not be quite as glowing in their report about, but right down the line that, that we do our jobs, we do it uh, in the right ways, we are sensitive to what we should be sensitive about in terms of the debtors and debtors' attorneys, and you know, I would hope that trustees around the country, all trustees around the country, would do that. Now, there has been, there, there, there 
you might as well just say it, uh, NACBA was an organization that came out very strongly uh, with an opinion about BAPSEPA and opposed it. And they have, you know, they wanted us to join them. We chose not to do that for the reasons I said earlier. Uh, and there has been some friction. Uh, we don't want debtors to have to pay higher filing fees, but we will, we also need to be able to make a living. Uh, I, I, I think and hope that uh, the relationship between the organizations uh, will will get to be like it used to be, and like the or, you know, like our relationship is with U.S. Trustee, where we're all in this together and we're pulling together and working hard. Uh, I think right now it's it's a little bit strained. Uh, within the organizations. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true of the members. I think uh, I think that's two different issues. And I think debtors attorneys, for the most part, uh, understand what we do, respect what we do, and vice versa. And we work together, again, to make sure the debtors treated fairly and properly. Well, I'm sure they appreciate that approach. Is, we're butting up on our um, half hour now for a podcast, but I'd like to give you the opportunity to add anything that you would like our listeners to hear or know from your perspective or the NABT's perspective? Well, I guess the only thing I would say in closing is that we're a little bit different uh, from the other organizations. Uh, the, the biggest difference is in size. I mean, that there are 1,500 of us. I mean, how many members of ABI are there? Lots and lots. The NCBJ is much bigger. The, you know, there's a whole lot more consumer lawyers out there than there are trustees and um, the, the 13 group is very different because they're more like government employees than we are. It, the, what seems to have happened is that everybody else has done a pretty good job of, of saying, here we are, we're doing this, um, look at us, you know, take care of us, notice us. And we've tried to do that, but I think somehow you know, we may have not succeeded and you can't be a very strong lobby unless you got a lot of people and I think that our uh, our numbers do not reflect the importance of what we do uh, or the fact that we are absolutely necessary to do it and you know, I hope conversations like this and you know other things that happen will will change that and people understand that we are not just an important part of the system but a fundamental part of the system well, I agree, and we will certainly get this podcast out to our membership. I personally, if I were a Chapter 7 trustee, couldn't imagine, you know, that I wouldn't be very actively involved in the NABT, but it'd be good to get other, um, more components of the bankruptcy system involved as well. Thank you for joining me today, Sam. I've enjoyed talking with you, as always. Well, Felicia, I've always enjoyed talking to you. Are you ever going to go back to Kentucky, I guess, is the question. <laughs> I don't have any plans on that. So we'll have to assure all of our listeners that not every bankruptcy professional in the world talks with our southern accent. That, that's right. Do you think anybody else can even understand it? <laughs> well, I wish you the best as you continue to serve the system in such a respectable way. And to our listeners, please join us again in April for our next podcast in this series, which will be with Judge Bennett from Alabama, who is the current president of the NC. CBJ. From the American Bankruptcy Institute, this is Felicia Turner. Thank you for listening.